Hi everyone. Welcome to Real World Parenting, tips and scripts for parents on roads less traveled. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson, a child and family psychologist, and I'm glad you're here. As you settle in to listen, let me reassure you that you are in the right place. If you're a loving parent looking for answers and encouragement, and maybe even a chuckle amidst hard things. If you're a loving parent who's raising a child on a journey different from your own as a child, and are seeking a compass as you navigate uncharted waters. This is the place for you if you get the theory of parenting advice you keep hearing, but for the love of chocolate and curry and all other nearly perfect things, that theory never quite works as planned with your actual children. Finally, you are in exactly the right place if you're a therapist or clinician who works with kids, teens, and families. My intention is that these episodes will deepen your work and change lives. So in this intro, I get two to three minutes here to boil down 30 years of work in my psychology offices and my experience as a mom in the trenches and let you know what I'll offer with this podcast. I almost called it Lessons from Our Living Rooms or Couch Conversations because my offerings will be things I have learned and keep learning from the vantage point of both my living room couch and my therapy office couch. The aim of this podcast is to offer hope, support, wisdom, and experience in community, to provide clinicians a window into what our recommendations actually mean for real families in real life. We will talk all things kid and teen related and shine a spotlight on families navigating identities related to race, gender, and adoption. We will explore common child and adolescent mental health and wellness related topics. The hope is to leave you with a greater understanding of your child's needs and a, you got this, energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions including, well, what do I say when and what do I do when, so that you feel equipped to handle the day-to-day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa or lace up some shoes or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you're here? I trust that you'll be glad. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson with Common Cord Psychology Services, and I am really glad you are here, and I just know you will be too. This week, I am really excited to welcome Amir Yas to the program to sit and have uh, a conversation with. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I think that it's just such an opportunity to have a conversation together. It's great. Yeah. And tell, I always start off by folks letting, how, how do you end up in this chair? Like what's your life's work that brings you here to connect today? Wow. That's a, that's a loaded question. <laughs> I like that. It took me 36 years to get to this chair. So here we are. Um, I think that sometimes I wonder if God never gave me a running chance, right? It's like, not only am I going to be queer, I'm going to be Muslim in America. I'm also going to be Middle Eastern. I'm also going to be fat. I'm also going to be feminine. It's like, he threw everything at the wall and was like, let's see what we can make. And I think I spent so much time hating all of those intersections, but now I'm like in the center of Santa Monica and La Cienega Boulevard, and I'm just directing traffic. And I, I am my best self and I, I love all of those pieces because they gave that little Amir like a purpose, right? And I think that I'm so in touch with that inner child that children flock to the 6'2", you know, Jack and the Beanstalk. They come up and hold my hand in public. They, they literally want to hug me. And I know parents, of course, like a man, they get kind of, and I always say like, 
don't worry. Like kids just gravitate towards me. And so I think that I just, that's what's kind of led me to this chair. I think all of those experiences. Wow. And that is, I mean, that that's, that's a lot to unpack. How, How do you, what would you want parents to know who are parenting kids with intersecting identities, right? So if you look back, I know there's no one path. I know there's no easy, you know, here's a two-step, six-step recipe. But but if you know parents and clinicians are listening in and they're supporting families and kids who are looking at intersections around race and or size and religion and uh, gender and or sexual orientation identity, what what pops out at you for parents to know? I think, and I, and I didn't do this, I didn't wear the sweatshirt as a gimmick. You guys can't see, but I'm wearing a sweatshirt that says empathy on it. And I think that that's the one word. I think having empathy, a lot of people have had sympathy and pity for me mm-hmm. as a kid and what I struggled with, but all I needed was a little bit of empathy, right? And I think that that is a world of difference of feeling like a problem to be solved versus someone who just needs someone to be like, I can hold what you're saying. If you tell me you're suicidal, if you tell me you want to transition, you tell me you might not be into girls and you like boys, I can hold that. And I think a lot of parents are like, they go right to worry and they go right to sympathy and they go right to why did this happen to me and why me and why my child, instead of stopping and saying, hey, maybe this will be their purpose. Maybe this will be their, I spent so much of my life before I came out saying I have no purpose, I'm I went to USC, I have all these degrees, I have all these great jobs, but I have no purpose. And then when I came out, it's like everything, it was like just clicked into place, like a Lego piece that was just missing. I had bad relationships, I had bad friendships, I had bad career choices. And all of that was because I wasn't who I was meant to be. Mm. How do you mind my, at any point you can say like pass on any of the, how old (laughs) were you when you, when you did come out? So I came out quite late. I mean, I was so you know, very, very religious. So I, you know, I even lived on a Muslim floor at USC. I was like very, very religious. So it wasn't even aware to me, even though it seemingly was aware to a lot of other people. And even when I did come out, a lot of people were like, Amir, pass the salt, you know? But I think for me, it was just not acceptable in my faith to, to, to like be someone who's queer and also believes in God, right? And so I think I was very late. So I think I was like 28. When I came out to myself, I was probably in my mid twenties, which for a lot of people, it's like, I knew at this age and I always knew that I was different. I just kind of thought that I was just weird or I didn't fit in or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, it was a very late start, but also that made it really beautiful because when I came out, I had all the tools to deal with the haters and the anger and the comments and my family. And I was so well prepared. Not that it wasn't painful. I was just a lot more prepared. How can you speak a little bit to the integration of the faith piece? How have you, how do you define your faith now? Did it change? How have you woven it into your life or, or not? How's that worked navigating that piece? So, you know, unfortunately in the more cultural side of Islam, it's very anti-gay. And I, I think that that is not something I'm going to pretend it's not. But I think that I've met so many amazing Muslims who have like accepted me for who I am. And I'm not only queer and Muslim, I'm also out and very public about it, which I think is like what a lot of people have a really issue with, especially my parents, um, that I am out and not ashamed about it. And I think that when I came out years ago, there weren't as many queer Muslim characters on TV. We've come a long way. You know, I consulted on Love, Victor. That's on Hulu. That So they have queer Muslim characters. So it's it's a process. But I think that when I came out, it really felt like I was 
lone wolf on a, you know, on a mountaintop. But I, I think for me, the struggle is that I hated God for so long for making me this way. Right. And I, I was like, Oh, like you made my life so much more difficult. I hate you. And I had really turned away from faith. I stopped praying. I stopped fasting, all of that. And I don't really pray or fast anymore, but I really respect it. And I I have like such love and adoration for God, but it's been a long process. I mean, I spent so much time saying like, you know, why me? Like, why am I gay? Like, you know, pray the gay away kind of vibe. Um, but I, I think in the long journey, it actually ironically made me a better Muslim because coming out made me more empathetic. And I think that empathy is like really the word that I really try to put forth every day is that it made me more empathetic of people's journey. Cause when I was very religious, I was so judgmental. You're going to hell, you're going to hell. I was playing, you know, God judge and jury. And I think that when I came out, I had a lot more empathy and a lot more understanding for where people were at instead of where I think they should be at, you know? And I think I've tried to take should and would and could out of my vocabulary because it's just not, doesn't really serve anyone. Yeah. And I, and I really hitting on the empathy piece too. I want to kind of punctuate what you said um, prior about for parents in terms of the difference between empathy and sympathy. And really, because a lot of what I talk about in this podcast for parents is, you know, get your head out of the sand, get your head out of the, your kid needs something different. Like you, you've got to recognize that you have to develop these skills to stand up and stand in. And, and, and yet there really, there really is this sweet spot where if your whole identity becomes wrapped up in the harm and the woe and the inevitable, um, you know, devastation that your child will face, then what I really appreciate your language about that, then you can feel like a problem who's constantly needing to be solved as a kid. And that that is an accidental byproduct of swinging the other way, right? So we're hoping that parents, I often say too, when they go, keep your knees bent, like just kind of stay <laughs> balanced and you may sway toward that, like, oh no, I don't know what to do here. But then also if you're balanced on your knees, you can come back in into this middle zone of recognizing it may be a different journey from your own. And just, I mean, what would have been helpful? Parents asking what you needed, parents speaking up more, speaking up differently, asking, like, what do you, what do you think would have helped without guarantees, of course, in terms of a journey that might've been smoother? Funny word smoother, but (laughs) the analogy I was going to use was actually, we were on a boat in Belize once and the boat was literally about to go down. It was really rough sea. It was horrible. And I remember like people were freaking out. They were running, they were thinking about cutting the anchor. It was just tumultuous like I want to kind of set the scene it was crazy but but when he looked at the captain he had no expression on his face and he said we're going to make through and we're going to be fine and I think him keeping it together and we were fine we obviously I survived so everything was fine and then we got there and we snorkeled and it was like super calm sea coming back and it was fine but I remember like seeing every crew member's face look dread I kind of remembered what it felt like at times being a child and asking for help and seeing your parents dread instead of seeing them like that calm captain, right? Mm -hmm. I I think we got it together. We're going to figure it out together. We're in this ship together. Whatever it was, that language would have been a lot better. I think I spent so much time being like, I feel unhappy and I don't know why. And it was very much like, let's go on a walk. Let's eat something. Let's go on a trip. It was about fixing it. And I think a lot of parents go right to fixing the problem instead of just being like, Wait, what's the root of the problem? Like, where is it coming from? Why did I just sit with my kid? There was a scene in a show I saw recently where the daughter was crying in a room and the mom came in, didn't say a word, sat next to her and started reading a book. 
like didn't say a word. And the daughter was crying and having her moment. And at, like a couple minutes in, she like, reached out for the mom. That kind of I'm here, but I'm not going to make it about me presence. I think a lot of parents fail miserably. And and I also even just the assumptive in the way that I asked the question, right? How do we make it smoother? You're like, no, wait, <laughs> that's actually what we're saying is not the, it is actually be along for the ride. It is keep your knees bent. It is not set up how to figure out how to smooth out the ride. Um, yeah, sure. There are things that you can do that will be advocates and allies and good communication skills. But in the end, it is really the walking with and the sharing time with and the, Absolutely. the Absolutely. presence. Um, and why do we need it to be smooth, right? Like, that's what I always tell parents. I'm like, why does it need to be smooth? Why does it need to be fixed? How could, what if like, you're just depressed for years and that's okay. I just want to like normalize some of that stuff, right? Like, oh, like, oh, you're suicidal. We need to fix it tomorrow. We're going to 72 hour, like you're going to 51, 50. It's like, it doesn't always have to be that. Like that's, yeah. yes, that's available and it's great when needed. Yes. But sometimes it's just a matter of walking through something. And I think a lot of parents, they're like, Oh my God. Oh my God. I don't want you to walk through it. Let's walk around it. I always tell when I do life coaching or I meet with anyone or I get DMS, I always say there is no way, but through it, you can go up, down, around side, try drugs, try sex, try whatever. You're going to have to go through it eventually. Like whether it's today or in Paris or I don't care, it's going to happen. So I think a lot of parents are like, how do we make it easier? Like it was so hard for us, but that hardship sometimes is like the flowers of the concrete, like all of that kind of stuff. And I know that I'm not the BS who, who like, let's have a new age bullshit. I am just genuinely, sometimes that's all it is. That's the best analogy. Like I've been through some horrible things and been like, I'm never going to survive. And then when I survived, I'm like, Oh my God, that's why I'm so warm. That's why like some of the like light that comes from me comes from darkness. Mm. And that's, and it's, I don't need mean to be poetic, but maybe I'm a little poetic. Yeah, I'll we'll take that. Yeah, no, that certainly landed that way. No, I mean, yeah. I think that's really, I mean, that it, that's huge when you think about it in the span of responsibility that parents feel. And, and I think the, the judgment that parents feel because there's so much misinformation out there about sexual orientation and gender identity, that parents are very often getting the direct and indirect messages that this is something that they should, um, at, the, at the very least, you know, not encourage and, right. or stop. like either parents sort of are given the sense they either created this, like they did it, something was going on in their relationship or their maleness or their femaleness or whatever it is that, that made this aberrant thing happen or they at very least shouldn't give permission, right? Like, why aren't they clamping down on that in some way? And, and I know a lot of parents feel kind of under the microscope because our world is so gendered that whether your kid is, you know, gender expansive and cisgender or gender expansive and, and straight or gay or whatever, gender expansive kids, whatever their identities are, come to attention so early and so intensely for people. And there really is a, you know, larger cultural belief that that parents must be doing something wrong in order for this to happen. And so I think as parents, there's this, there's really, an, I mean, I know as parents, there's really just a need for, for checking your own biases about stuff and, and thick skin. And like, this isn't disappointment. It isn't, it, it, it like, how, how do you recognize <laughs> that, <laughs> that this is, that there's 
I mean, both are true, right? Um, there's a lot of beauty in in the flowers and the concrete, and there's also a lot of pain. So if you go right to hip hip hooray and no recognition that there is bullying, there is othering, there is exclusion, there is physical danger. Like if you don't sit with your kid in that stuff and go straight to, oh, nobody cares anymore. How often do you hear that, Amir? How often do you? Oh, God. If I hear that one more time, oh, you're so lucky to be in this generation and not in the 80s. Absolutely. I absolutely admit that it is easier. But also the difference is that we are forced out many times a lot more than that happened in the 80s. And also we are also forced to be so comfortable and so happy and so okay with the microaggressions and et cetera, et cetera. Like even at a family Christmas party yesterday, um, my little cousins opened like a makeup set and it was from my mom. And my cousin was like, oh, it's probably from you, right? That, and I don't mind, like I love makeup. I don't have a problem with that. But see that kind of microaggression is what like black or Asian people or Middle Eastern people deal with on a regular basis where you're getting these comments and queer people get that as well. Very much like, oh, can you help me dress? It's an assumption that because I'm gay that I know how to dress. And I do. Like I was a style. I do. But I think it's important to ask instead of assume. And I think that though there's times where like I get bummed. Like I was like, oh, like I didn't, but then you feel like it's not an opportunity to be like, oh, I didn't get the makeup, hence you should feel bad. I was just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That checks out. Laugh and move on. Sometimes it's just easier to do that. But it also doesn't mean that it's any less painful because it kind of just takes you back to being a kid in gym class and Amir's weird and he talks like a girl. And are, are, no, I got this all the time. No offense, but are you gay, right? And it's like, if I said no, they'd be like, you're lying to yourself. If I said yes, it would then an opportunity to make fun of you, right? So I think it's tough. Like, is it easier? Absolutely. But also I think now in this country, especially being gay or being trans or being anything other than cisgendered is a political statement for some reason, which I never signed up for. Like I never signed up to be a political statement. Um, you know, I get messages from people that have the audacity to say that I should kill myself, that, um, God hates me, that my parents hate me, that they hate me. That's all fine. But a lot of those people are coming from a very Republican standpoint. I never came out to make Candace Owens feel bad. Like (laughs) I don't care about her. I don't lose sleep over her. Right. So I think that's important. I think a lot of parents are like, my kid wants, cause it's like the cool thing to do. There is nothing cool about coming out. I, I am, and I'm, I literally, like, my mouth is hanging open. I, I feel this stuff all the time from parents who were like, I think my kid's only doing it for the social props. Or, for attention. Or, for yeah, for attention. And, and, and it's like, there are no, if I start talking to families at all about preparing to navigate difficult situations, and the parents are like, what do you mean? They're, you know, people might as well be throwing them a parade. And I'm like, you... Wow. Because, because, yeah, right. And I'm like, and even friends, even, you know, yes, as you said, there is a truth to, you know, younger, more younger folks identifying, but even friends of mine who like me are cis and hetero, but are not parenting gender expansive kids will say again, like, oh, everybody's bi, everybody's gay. Everybody's I know. And I'm like, just feel more comfortable. I think that's, I think that's the key is like a comfort level in this generation, especially because I'm very active on TikTok and I saw it with Gen Z. Like they didn't bat an eyelash that I was gay and Muslim. Right. But it was a lot of these, like a lot of the people that did have an issue were my age, were older, right. We're from a different generation. They were like, 
this is not acceptable. They were the ones reporting me. They were the ones, but the Gen Zers were really uplifting me because they were like, oh, hey, that's a new thing. That's a new intersection. We're all about it. Let's uplift it. So I think that that's the, the shift. And it's kind of like, my uh, I have two friends who have kids that are one is autistic, one is Asperger's, and her mother-in-law was like, "Oh, all kids now have learning disabilities. All of them have autism. Not all kids have autism. They are getting diagnosed. A lot of people spend a lot of time going through their lives without being diagnosed. So, right. and it's the same thing with queerness. Like people feel more comfortable. To, like my friend is married for twenty years to a man, and she's like, "I'm bi." That is an identity. She's allowed to say that, even if she never acts on it. Sexuality and sex are two different things. Right. So I think it's important to, to identify like, the act of sex is very different than sexuality. I could never have sex and I'm still queer. And I think that that's the issue where a lot of people go, well, you know, you never had a boyfriend. No, 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 you're not gay. It's like that. But you never say that to a straight person. You could be a nun and you're straight. <laughs> right. <laughs> what is that about? What right. Like, that, what is that about? <laughs> that, yeah, that we immediately go very specifically. We boil it down. We simplify. I think that's there's a unidimensionality, we assume, both in terms of what relationships are about and also in terms of fashion and things. I remember talking to a dear, dear friend of mine who's like, you know, as soon as I identify as a gay man, people make me the entertainment and it's exhausting. I hate that. Like, right? Like a similar, like, and so even though it's a, it's that, it's also that thing of the, the double-edged sort of the positive stereotype. So for the people who are on board, right? So when we're talking to parents and saying, hey, it isn't that everybody's fine with it and that your kid, like my caseload is full of kids being harmed actively, socially in communities by the four kids in their grade who aren't, you know, whatever necessarily is for, like, it's still, it's not easy. This is not an easy path. And Laura, they might actually be queer and they're in the closet and they're acting out because they're in the closet. I mean, that is also a real thing. And I, I also think that coming out stories shouldn't be tied to that, but that is part of it. I think every stereotype has a little bit of truth, right? So I just, I think that's important to acknowledge yeah. that. Yeah. And, and the, and the idea is that it is, it's just all, it's assumptions, right? It's staying curious. It's staying curious. And it's recognizing that the person standing in front of you is a person of multitude of factors that are their own. And Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> if you stay curious and, and stay back on your heels a little bit and, yes. And oh yeah, knees bent back on your heels. We've got a theme here. It's back at the knees bent. I love the knees bent. I love that image. Like I used to play tennis a lot as a kid and you have to have the shuffle and you're always on your knees or on the ball of your heels. Just act like that. Listen, I always tell people, I get so many messages. All you do is take down straight men and white people and white privilege. Listen, you don't have to ever listen to me. You can unfollow me. You can block me. You can hate me. You can don't ever say the person's right pronouns, call people slurs, never say the right words say BLM is a joke, do whatever you want, but you can continue to be an asshole. That's fine. Be an asshole. Like I never said everyone had to be nice. I'm just saying that a little sensitivity goes a long way. And that's all I'm asking for. Also, I'm a stand-up comedian. I have made jokes, made rooms full of people laugh, never at anyone's expense. It's not impossible. It's just, you don't want to be smart. You want to do the low hanging fruit and that's fine. But like, I think that a lot of people just use it as an excuse. Oh my God. Well, then I can't go in the bathroom. I feel unsafe. There are multiple bathrooms where they're individual. You can lock the door. You can go everywhere. I mean, I, I live, you know, in Los Angeles, you can go anywhere and they have an individual stall. Feel free to use that. If you have a problem with a sign that says all gender restroom, then that's something you need to work on. Get a therapist. I'll pay for it. I always <laughs> tell people, DM me. I'll pay for your therapy. Cause you need it. Right. <laughs> Cause you need it. Like if that bothers 
bothers you so much, then you are also in the same class of people that were worried that black people were drinking at the same fountain. You're the same person that didn't want women in a restaurant. It's the same thing. So just own it. Then don't say, oh no, I'm a really open-minded person, but this is getting ridiculous. Everyone's changing their gender. I want to be a tree now. Oh, Nobody wants to be a tree. The, ugh, and at the litter boxes, right? Like, oh, the, the you know, the, the everybody's a furry and everybody's a, the animals. And I'm like, okay, you know what? This is, I mean- because it's also, again, I get back to that. There's so much information. The people who are a danger to your children, everybody, parents, far and wide listening, are the straight people you already know in your yeah. kids' life. Statistically, it is, it, it's the straight men are most often the perpetrators, not the only ones, but it's the straight men yeah. already in your life with access to your children. The stranger Absolutely. danger myth is gay or straight. The stranger danger myth is, is a, is a myth because it's, it's usually men yeah. and it's not, and we're not groomers. Like I have never, I have posted probably at this point, 20,000 videos over the last couple of years talking about being queer. I've never once told people to be queer. I've never groomed anyone. I get called groomer all the time. I, why would I want someone's life to be harder? And I did a video where people were very upset on both sides, not only the queers, but also people that were like against that. I said that I don't want a queer child. And I know under, let me just unpack that because people get really upset. The reason I say that is like, that is a harder life. You don't, cause my cousin was like, I wish my son was gay. No, no, no. Because what you want is a stereotype. You want someone who's fun, electric, and I'm all those things, honey. I will work a parade. I look fabulous. I I am the light in the room. But at the same time, my life has been a lot harder. So why would you wish that? You know, like wishing it. And I think that I understand that allies want to be like, we love and accept you. But wishing that, I don't think is great. And I, I also feel, and maybe I could be wrong, but a lot of me and my queer friends think that a lot of queer children go to parents that don't want that. They we're there to push them. We're there to bring light to their household. We're there to make them see a different side. My parents have come leaps and bounds. I have so many friends where their parents were so horrible in the beginning and then they were at their wedding. That that shift is really powerful. And that's what queer kids do for you, right? Mm -hmm. I get it. We go through the ringer. We barely make it alive. But in some situations, I met so many people that I'm like, how do you not have a cake child? You'd be perfect. <laughs> and they have three super straight, like 100%. Like, and it's like, I feel like that's a thing. Like, I feel like it's there to push you. Well, and it's also an interesting comment in terms of this idea that somehow this, this wave of gayness is because of permission. And I'm like, again, to look at that exact factor, were that the case, then we'd never have gay kids in families that weren't completely up to speed and on board. And we would only have gay kids in families whose parents are, you know, it's like, it doesn't, that doesn't actually add, like so much of it doesn't add up. It's like, if you, it doesn't add up and it's so and it's permission and it's safety, Laura, right? It's also safety. I think that's a big factor that a lot of people go, oh, in the 80s, well, in the 80s, you had to go around and say, hey, Judy, because you had to see if this person's going to maybe beat you to death if they think you're coming on to them. So there's a lot of like, and the reason queer people use humor is because we go through a lot of trauma and, you know, humor is a great way to like process that, you know, drag queens, dress up, all of the stuff we do is because we're trying to 
get past the trauma. And even now, I mean, you saw what happened in Colorado Springs. I mean, you know what happened at Pulse. I mean, these things happen. Like when I go to a club or when I go to an event, like, and it's a lot of queer people, I mean, I think twice about it. And that, unfortunately, that's living in America. And I know a lot of people, like, I get a lot of these messages going, well, then you should move to the Middle East. They'd love to kill you, whatever. I, I'm also Middle Eastern. I understand how those countries are. But saying that a country is worse, hence shut your mouth about the homophobia in America, that to me is not enough. I have never said America is perfect. I've also never said it's the worst place ever. I live here. I love being American. But there, I think that because I love it, I want to fix it. People are like, then move to Canada. Move to the Middle East. That's not fixing it. Like, yeah. I was born here. Why would I leave? Like, I, I deserve to be here and I deserve to take up space, you know? How has the Middle East, I mean, we talked a little bit about the, the Muslim faith piece, but how's the Middle Eastern, <laughs> there's a br- really ridiculously broad question. How's the Middle Eastern part of your identity influenced you? <laughs> like, I love it. Um, you you know, I'm, I, I love that. It's, it's a really, it's a really umbrella question. And I love it. But, you know, I... I definitely am white passing. So in my family, I definitely don't look like everyone else. So I definitely have been able to pass for white and, you know, I've been blonde at times and I think that I can pass, but you know, I go to the airport and I'm searched and I'm treated like dirt. And, you know, one time I was, I had a cast on my leg and they were checking it for bomb residue. I'm like, yeah, I'm running around with a cast trying to blow up the plane. Like some of that stuff is like, it becomes very aware. Like if I grow a beard, I'm pulled aside. Like, and again, at the end of the day, I'm always going to be Amir Hassan Yassai, right? It's always, that's always going to be my name. So it follows me around. And I think that, you know, growing up in Orange County, it didn't make it easier, right? You know, 9-11 happens and they ask a 15 year old, can you please speak on it in front of the entire school? And I'm like, well, I have nothing to say about it. I, I'm Middle Eastern. I'm not a terrorist. Yeah. That was in a Christian school. Yep. Wow. And yeah. And I and I had to do it, right? And I and I think that like looking back on that stuff, I'm like, where was the adult in the room to be like, wait a second, why are you asking a 15-year-old to talk on a topic of terrorism the day it also happened to him? Right. I lived here, so it happened to me as well. It's not like I was somewhere else and I was flown in for this event. Like, so I think that looking back on that stuff, it makes me want to be more proud. And I think that I am and I I always say the Middle East is like a house of cards and that's not my fault. Like, so every country is beautiful in its own way. Even if there is genocide or issues or whatever in that country, like people still identify as part of that country. Of course, what's going on in Iran right now has opened the floodgates of people messaging me and saying, you don't talk about it enough. You're not proud enough. You need to condemn it. I don't feel it's my place to speak on a topic I know nothing about. I live five, 20, I don't know. It's like, 10,000 miles away. Like I've lived there. I've been to the Iran. I've been to the Middle East, but to speak on a topic I know nothing about, like just seems really foolish to me. And a lot of people will go, well, if you don't agree, like you need to like, there needs to be revolution there. That's going to be millions of people dying. So I just don't feel like I can say anything. I'm not the kind of person that's going to be like, let's go to war. (laughs) Cause it's not, the Middle East is just too unstable, but Again, I love being Middle Eastern. I think it's the warmth that I have. The, I mean, people sit next to me on a flight and they just want to be my friend and they want to tell me their whole life story. That kind of stuff, like, comes from being Middle Eastern. It comes from being able to, like, chat and have tea and, like, be so warm. And, again, it's a beautiful, vibrant country. It's just much like my queerness, much like me being Muslim. It's always a campaign of, like, it's not what you think. <laughs> like, not all gay men are predatory. Not all Muslims are out to get you. Not all of them are terrorists. Like, whatever it is, I kind of feel sometimes I'm a lot 
of the time on the defensive. And I'll get messages where people are like, you're so non-threatening or, and I think they think it's a compliment, but that is also a microaggression as well. Mm. Yeah. You're so non-threatening, right? Like you're saying in palpable, you're saying in gentle ways, the way that everything's a mess. Yeah. That's, that's actually really, that's an interesting one. What does it bring up for you when they say that, when they say you're so non-threatening as if they're surprised? Is it like, what, what is, I think it triggers me in the way that it kind of makes me go back to childhood where it's like, you're non-threatening equals you're unforgettable. You're overlooked. You're not always heard. Because when I do speak on stuff, like when I spoke about Palestine and Israel, or if I spoke about BLM or I spoke about women's rights and I abortion people, like I got a message saying your profile used to be fun. All now it's all about social justice. And I'm like, are you watching the news? Like, I don't, in the last two years, if you haven't talked about anything happening in the news, then there's something wrong with you, not me. Yeah. So, you know, but there's a lot of like, people are like, I want you to be fun and I want you to be unencumbered and no trauma. And, or there's the people on the other side of the fence who are the trauma bonders and they love the trauma porn. And they want to like, get off on it. Let's make it worse. When were you abused? When were you like, yeah. hate crime? Like there's people that get off on that as well. So I think that I try to really ride that fence, but yeah, it really, for me, it brings up just a feeling of thanks but no thanks like i don't want to be non-threatening because i'm somehow digestible to you that just doesn't feel right well and it, the and it, you're, the the concept that and, and correct me if i'm using an, an errant phrase but it was like the narrative burden piece in a way like oh let me sit let me let's see which one of the parts of me are you most likely to have an uninformed reaction to and now like yeah how can i convince you i'm not that and i'm not this and i might be this but a little bit of that but not really i mean again it's like trying to it's ex- it must be exhausting it's exhausting it's exhausting i feel like I'm Cinderella getting ready for the day with the, whatever, the birds and the bees and you're flipping around and fabric is coming. Cause sometimes I'm like code switching so often. Like I go to a work event and I'm, you know, Hey bro. And Hey man. And it's very like straight. And then you go like to a drag show and then you go on a date and then you go into the mosque and you like, it's like, I have to code switch in all of these environments and I don't mind doing it. And it's become like, you know, almost like a ballet move for me. Like it's very graceful, but there are times where I'm like, no wonder like people get burnt out being a social justice warrior or being burnt out on being queer. And, you know, I stopped doing a lot of podcasts cause I was like, I don't want to be the like token Muslim, the token queer person. Like you just say everything, like talk about it, like carry it. So I think that that's kind of been the, the point of kind of a little bit of my exhaustion. Yeah. Well, and I see, and that's an interesting piece too, from the work that I do and the things I hear from parents. Cause I also have a subset of parents who, who want their, who it's interesting, either aren't ready to go there yet with their kid being on any of of these identity paths or can't understand why their kid isn't on stage at the school pep rally, starting the GSA. They're like, they're like, I think they, they just need to be, you know, out. They need to be everywhere. We're going to, they have to go to this camp or do this thing. Or they, and the kid's like, look, I'm just Stanley, you know, like, and okay, this is a part of my life, but I don't. So it's a really interesting thing to watch parents, again, try to figure out that balance where you are not dictating your child's relationship to their identity or community. Right. Right? Right. And that's kind of, I think, the allyship where it goes wrong into like, 
almost co-opting. Like I, growing up, a lot of my issues with my family was co-opting my pain, making it their own. I die for you. And Middle Eastern culture is very dramatic. Like I die for you. I take your pain. I wish I got the disease and die. Like it's very, and you have like a common cold. You're like, it's, I'm going to be fine. You know? So I think that like that kind of, a lot of allies tend to kind of go in that route where they're like, you should be proud. Let's wear a rainbow shirt. And like, I was watching a show and the dad was like, I'm so proud of you. Like right from being kind of not okay with it. And he was wearing a shirt that said proud gay dad. And his daughter's like, that says that you're a gay dad. Like not that you're proud of me. You are the gay dad. And he's like, Oh, you're right. But I'm still going to wear it because dad's an ally. And it's like, like, you know, it's almost kind of cringe. And especially like this new generation, they're very like, they're like 13 going on 35. They're just a lot more advanced than I ever was. So they know a lot more stuff. They're more aware of stuff. And then they're more aware of their bodies or more. It's everything. So I, I think that parents need to just kind of take a break. And again, like you said, some kids are just Stanley. Like I don't, I'm very open about it, but not everyone. I have so many friends that like, if you went on their page, you wouldn't even know they were gay. Like they don't need to be on the, the pride parade and the drag show and the rainbow. And I think that there is also a lot of shaming, even in the gay community about that being like, you don't watch RuPaul's drag race. Like you don't wear a rainbow. You don't go to pride, but maybe they're just, that's just not part of their identity. And, and a lot of my friends, like even now will like joke. They're like, Amir, the queer, like the gay queer Muslim, like, can you have fries? Like, can the queer Muslim, like, is he going to have salmon? Like, because it became such an identity for me, you know? And it became so like a buzzword that I was like, wait a second, I'm so much, and I say this a lot, like I'm so much more than just being the queer Muslim on Instagram. Like I'm someone's son, I have dated, like I have relationships, like I'm so much more than that. And I think that that's also what happens when you're a kid, you come out and all of a sudden everyone's like Stanley the gay kid. And it's like... Yep. That's not great. No, it isn't. It's like, how do we, uh, yeah. How do we see it without centering it entirely? Stay curious. How, what do you think your parents would say to other parents? Asking you to speak for other people is always a great idea, especially your parents. (laughs) (laughs) I think I love to do it. So it's fine. Um, What do you think your parents would say? I mean, I think also just to make one quick point about like, as far as like that identity becoming your whole world, that can also be very limiting because it does hold you back from opportunities. I'm not going to say like, I know I pitched to this really big um, TV network and they were like, Oh, you're on time. Like we kind of assumed you'd be late. And I, and I remember being like, that's a weird comment. And then when I talked to the assistant, she said, Oh, because you're gay, we kind of thought you'd be late. And I'm like, what? Like, why would I be late? Why? And I've heard this even on set. I've heard, Oh, you're so professional. That's not a compliment. That is a, we thought you were going to be dramatic. We thought you were going to like, and I, and I always tell people, I'm like, did you think I was going to come in and like flip a table and do a makeover? Like, I, I don't know what you thought was going to happen. Right. Again, the, right. This idea, yeah, that it's all embroiled in this preset formula right. that folks are putting you in. They're sliding you into this slot once they and it's human. We filter, we, course, we do a bunch of like, you know, stacking. We need to categorize people. Yeah, instantly. It's, it's, a, it's a, there's an automaticity to it that is, that, that is unfortunately human. And it's the degree that we push back and they're aware of it, that we, you know, all that right. kind of stuff. Right. But it can be very painful. And I think people need to be aware of what they're looking at, where they're looking, how they talk to people. Like I have a friend who's trans and she's like, when people look at my Adam's apple, it really ruins my day. And it like, but see, there's, and I understand people have no, like, I I know people are not, most people are not going, oh, I'm going to make this trans person feel bad, but people spend time like trying to figure out who's trans, who's gay. And I remember like when I wasn't ready to come out, it was so like 
do you have a boyfriend? Who are you dating? Like, are you gay? I want to ask. Because my heart would drop every time. And those things are like trauma that like kind of builds inside of a child. So just, again, all of this goes back to just being a bit more cognizant of what people are going through. And I think that as far as my parents, like I think what they would say is that like, probably put down the rosy colored glasses, the rose colored glasses, and just stop being in denial, right? I, my, my number one joke is always like, you know, denial is best served with hummus. You know, they, the Middle Eastern people love denial. They love to create, I mean, I even have an uncle now that's still like, no, you should get married to a woman. Like, <laughs> it's still, and again, what I say to like any queer children or parents of a queer child, don't give advice. Like as a parent, like you don't know, like don't give advice. Don't say when I was young and it was really hard and it like, we don't need to hear that. And we also don't need as a queer person to change people's minds. It's not your job as a child to go there and be the, like, you know, the gay straight Alliance and be on the, like all the pride. Pr- there are kids that do that and they're wonderful. There's people like Jojo Siwa who will take that on. I don't want that. I didn't want that when I was a kid. Right. So I think for parents, like, just take a break. Like it's okay to have a real reaction, but also like, I think ownership is really big. Like, you know, I think my parents said a lot of things and people in my family said a lot of horrible things and never really took ownership of it. And I've like, let it go and I've moved on with my life. But I think that there is a lot in telling someone like, Oh, that's a lifestyle choice or that's your lifestyle or you're doing this to your parents. Like some of those words, like not great, but also when you can and when you're ready, correct people. Like I correct, I'm like, don't say lifestyle. And if you want to say that, then I won't be in your, I won't be in your like airspace. And that's fine. Like I'm not mad at you, but if you're not going to give me the right pronouns, like you're not going to give me the right respect, then I'm not going to be in your environment. And I think that for people who are trans or have pronouns and it's really important to them, like if you don't want to do it, then they don't need to be around you. Right. And then, and then I think that's, yes, the point being too, that I think there's also something really, <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong, ideally, you don't, do, you know, initiate the microaggressions and right. life and learning. So there's right. also a real powerful thing in saying, when I look back, like, if I could do a do-over, if I understood now, like, you know, like, even if it, nothing's magic, nothing erases those moments when those, no. those stings hurt and yet i you know it seems to me that there is still something to be gained in the like i just didn't know what i didn't know and i'm sorry right like as part of an ongoing thing you don't get stuck in it you don't wail on yourself in front of your kid and make it about you Mm. don't do that but taking responsibility (laughs) like the owner like the ownership for saying like hey you know what i look back i think i blew it and i'm not gonna make this about me but but I would do it differently if I knew now and I didn't. It is hard, right? It's like a number of times parents are trying to get their kids to give them a break or cut them some slack, you know? And I'm like, well, you can't, it can't, it just can't be about you right now. And there'll be time. There'll be lots of times that these either have these conversations or just show up and sit and read, just be in the room, invite anybody to your home. I want to meet, you know, like, who are you going to the dance with? Have them come over and we'll take pay. like whatever. Just just normalcy. Like just-, just some normalcy. That's all we're looking for. And at the end of the day, no matter how 
fabulous you become and how amazing like your journey is at the end of the day when you're a kid you just want to be normal you just kind of want to be overlooked sometimes you just want to i did not want to be six two and fat and gay and all i didn't want that so i i but i got all those things and i don't regret it and i like have made a life out of that and I'm, i don't regret any of it and it's so beautiful and amazing but it was really painful to not sometimes just be normal, just to get to go to a dance and not be someone's gay best friend or to go to a dance and not just be like, wait a second, what? Like, why am I always the one that's different? Why am I always the one with like immigrant parents or the Muslim thing and the Middle East thing? And it's like, why can't I just like be normal? And even kids now, like we celebrate diversity and all that and it's beautiful. But at the end of the day, kids kind of want to still be kind of normal and they want to be overlooked and they want to be like, you know, left alone. So I think that all of that is really amazing. And I think that parents, like, they're going to learn boundaries and the kids have to set their own boundaries. And you learn that as you navigate all of this, it's not easy. And there's no rule book. You read a hundred books about raising a gay child and every child's different. And every child, they might, they might be like, I'm gay. And then maybe I'm bi, or maybe I'm pan. And all of this stuff is not an opportunity for you to say, Oh my God, how many letters alphabet mafia? And we have a hundred. Why is inclusion in this country especially seen as such a negative thing? I'm like, okay, so more people feel... And then I remember like they started this whole thing on TikTok being like straight TikTok and we have our own straight flag. Nobody said straight people were not included in the LGBTQIA+. Do you realize the plus is inclusive of every identity? Like, I don't know why people don't get that. Like, you can be asexual and straight. You can also be um, like, there's so many things in the LGBTQIA that you queer as in of itself i know many straight people who are queer yeah no straight. when i do these trainings and stuff and i'm talking to folks i'm like i start right away i use the phrase like soji the sexual orientation gender identity expression because i'm like because guess what we all have one how did they know the same way you knew you're you had an internal process right yes. that yes. led to clarity around attraction yes. and internal identity it's not a different process we it's all not. navigate these things and the internal pieces are you know and with straight people it's different and you, there's no one straight formula but yeah it's it the the to get people to see the systems in play and the privilege in play and not immediately feel threatened and defensive and and um aggressively defensive about it is okay i mm. keep trying keep trying to figure out some tricks to one at a time is what I keep telling myself. Like, one what are you defending? Time. That's what I always say, Laura. I'm like, what are you even defending? Like, nobody said you can't be straight. Like, I like I just I get these messages, and I'm like, what exactly are you defending so aggressively? Calling everyone a snowflake, saying everybody is like so emotional they can never. It's like this generation can't deal with anything. Wait a second, who, who exactly ruined the world and climate change and all, baby boomers? So what are you complaining about? Yeah. Like you ruined the world and then you want us to fix it. You went to war multiple times. Like I just, I think that that's the issue where it's like, it's very like, oh, this generation is a pansy. Oh, they don't want to murder people when they're 18 years old. Like it, it's, it's really interesting, right? Like so emotional about things rather than, than lockdown and limiting. And yeah, it, the values associated with, it's like we're clinging, we older folks clinging to what is familiar, what is more linear, what is less right. complex right. in terms 100%. of a lot of different things. And it's safer, right? It's, it's a, and parents have a need for control. Ah, we do. I like, you know, I mean, like the responsibility that one feels parenting is like, it's its own thing. And, and so, a lot. yeah, it's and a lot. it can lend itself to anxiety and worry and, mm -hmm. and judgment mm -hmm. and anticipated judgment. And yet 
we signed up. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and we didn't choose to come. And, and one of my first therapists said that because I was like, oh my God. And she's like, you are not the parent. They chose to bring you here. So you are not the parent. You are, it's not your job to do all of this internal work. It is their job to facilitate it. So I, I think for me, I spent so much time being like, oh my God, what, what did I do wrong? What, what? It's like, nothing went wrong. You're figuring it out. And I think a lot of that obviously is shame. Like my whole thing is always to, you know, destigmatize stuff and get rid of shame. And I think shame for me has always been, I'm bad. And I've always just tried to like, I'm good, but I'm realizing that shame is just bullshit. Like I don't want it. And I've been trying to extract it from my life. And even with like understanding of queer people, a lot of straight people, their identity is like as how they see gay identity is tied to shame, right? Those videos of like gay men being predatory and pedophiles or like sexual abuse, or then you got abused then you became gay. It's like these kind of A to B stuff. And they need to unlearn that. Like stop creating those narratives. Like we're not out to get children. Gay men can adopt and they're not trying to sleep with the child. Like there is a difference between being attracted to it's like it's it's almost like to the level where saying like a dad's gonna sleep with his daughter because he's straight like that doesn't make any sense no exactly i appreciate that and it is like if people actually stopped and logic through the assumptions around sexual abuse then you know it's like oh but girls who are sexually abused by men they choose they are gay because then they now want to only be with women but Boys who are abused by men only want to be with the people who be like, it just doesn't, so much of it makes no sense. And yet people aren't. So, so yeah, we hold a little bit of a mirror up, up to that and just sort of encourage people to be thoughtful and uncomfortable. I mean, I think that's one of the hardest things, right? Is that we're, we're inviting people to get and remain uncomfortable and not in, not in control. And I have so I, I knew I would be able to go on for hours and hours, but I have to wrap up now. And I'm what thought, no, I totally understand. Yeah, what thought would you like to to leave us with? <laughs> um, first of all, I've had so much fun. It's like been wonderful. And I think that again, I'm not a parent, so I'm not gonna sit here and give parental advice and pretend that I know what it's like to be a, a parent. But what I do know is being a child, right? So I think that having been a child and again someone who's so tied to their inner child i think the only advice i can give is that like on this journey when your kids tell you things and they 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 bring you in just remember that it's also hard for them and when you make like a reaction and you make it all about you and you just go up in arms and you have such a visceral reaction it does affect them you know and it really does leave them feeling raw and unready for kind of dealing with the world and that's it just be there with your child and don't do right like we're human beings like just be with your child like you don't need to do and I think that so much parents are like they need to be in all these classes and they need to be distracted and they need to be this and that x y and z but are you ever with your child like do you ask them how they are that's like, that's so powerful to me. Like, I, the reason I loved therapy was I was like, oh my God, this is the first time where someone's like, how are you? Right, right, exactly. And not what are you set up for? What are you working toward? Yeah, that's a beautiful place to to wrap up. And I hope that folks, we're going to attach all the details of how people can can find you more and benefit more and, and yeah, learn from and learn with. And, um, I really appreciate you taking the time to pop in today. I appreciate that. If anyone ever needs anything, DM me, I respond to all the DMS. Like if parents want advice or, you know, I don't know, whatever they need, like whatever it is. 
Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure and I hope our paths will cross again. I hope so. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Just a quick note here at the end to say I am so glad you joined and I hope you are too. And if you'd like to connect with me more, come take a look at my website, www.drlauraanderson.com. There you can join my newsletter, keep in touch and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation uh, and Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. So check me out those places and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today.